So, uh, so we're gonna, here's what we're going to do for the, for the next little bit, uh, guys. We're going to do, uh, we're going to have um, four kind of segments. I'm going to share for about 10 minutes, and then we're just going to take some Q&A time around that subject, preferably. We, you know, we may, there may be some tentacles off of that a little bit, um, which is cool. And then uh, after that, Pastor Randy's going to share for about 10 minutes. We'll do some Q&A, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, Pastor Dino's going to do the same thing. And then my brother-in-law, Pastor Derek, is also going to do that. So four of us, 10 or 15 minutes, and then some Q&A around all of it. And um, here's the deal. I know that, um, you know, I know how this is. I know how it goes because, you know, we've taken our teams to stuff just like you have to this or to other conferences. And uh, sometimes what's going through my head is, you know, I really hope that everybody else is getting stuff because they need it. You know what I mean? Like my staff really needs to get stuff. And um, I'm pretty good because I've got, you know, I've got friends. I, I can call up Pastor Dino, Pastor Randy or somebody and get stuff. So I don't need this as much as they do. And um, I don't want to suggest for a minute that what I'm going to share is, is you know, going to change your world. But, but what I do know is that it would be easy to be preoccupied hoping that they're getting what they need and find yourself on your phone going, hey, I hope that worship session's really good. And, you know, those kids things, you better ask all the right questions or I'm going to fire you and all that stuff. And so I just want to say, for the next hour and a half, um, can, can you do me a favor? Can you try and lock in on what God's calling you to do and lead and, uh, and what your responsibilities and roles are and what your challenges are and what your you know, successes and failures are and where your weak spots are? Because um, here's the reality. We can say this in this room. Usually, the, the person who's dealing with the most junk on your team is you. Um, the senior pastors usually have the most stuff, the most ego to deal with, the most, I don't want anybody to know my challenges or my hard places. Um, we also have the greatest opportunity to change the trajectory of the health and the future and the impact of our church. But we won't do that if we're not real kind of honest about where we are. So let's do that together for the next hour and a half. And uh, I, think, I think we can see some really great stuff happen. So I'm going to take uh, about 10 minutes. Um, anybody ever had a broken leg? Anybody ever break a leg or an ankle or something? Or maybe just twisted an ankle really bad, like a high ankle sprain, um, you know, something like that. And it gets real, it's like just jacked up. And you end up not just having it like elevated, but you ever have to get on a crutch? Anybody ever do crutches, right? Anybody ever do the one crutch thing? Like, you know, you're like, I don't even know how to do it right. You just, you feel like an idiot. You look stupid. And, uh, but, but here's the deal. If you didn't have the crutch, you'd fall over. And um, there's this phrase that I think... Um, has gotten a bad rap, this idea, and we, people say it about Christianity, that Christianity is a crutch. You've heard that. You know, people that believe in God, just God's a crutch. And um, I, I, I want you, I wanted you to hear this for a minute. It's just a thought I've been chewing on, is that, um, that I think if it wasn't for the crutch, we'd collapse. Because there's a lot of broken stuff. And so I want to talk about what is something that is, that is a crutch that I think is the best thing in the world and we, we know it is important, but it's the thing that will hold you up when something is broken. It's the thing that will keep you stable and your church stable when there's weakness somewhere and you don't have it repaired yet. It isn't fixed yet because, the, because while it's broken and it's hurting and it needs to be iced and all that, you still got to do and be church. You got to execute the mission that God's given you. And if it wasn't for the crutch, when the thing is broken or weak, you would crumble and your church would crash. And you need to be grateful for the crutch. But if you stay reliant on the crutch for too long and don't fix the thing that's broken, you end up atrophying all the stuff that will allow you to run after it's healed. And so here's, here's, what, here's what I want to talk about for just a couple of minutes. Culture, the culture of your church is the crutch that keeps what's broken from collapsing while you heal or fix it. Culture is the thing. 
It's the crutch that keeps your church standing and keeps you functioning and keeps things from collapsing. But, but it's, it's, it's not meant to be leaned on and relied on so, so significantly that you never deal with whatever the thing is or things are that are a little bit weak or a little bit broken or a little bit, you know, atrophy. They're just, they're not quite right, but because we might get a good culture, we can end up being grateful that it props, you know, keeps things standing and stable, but it's intended to allow us to fix and heal the things that are broken. So we need it. We need to focus on it. We need to have a healthy culture. But if you never deal with the thing that's broken, you can end up actually messing up all kinds of things and your church will walk with a limp forever. And so culture is a, is a huge, huge, huge deal. So um, culture is the currency of your church. And um, it is, you know, we, I think we, we, we all like to, who likes to travel? Anybody a traveler? Who likes to travel? Anybody ever have to deal with like currency exchange? Doesn't that suck? Like it just always sucks. And um, I, I always hate dealing with it when I get to travel. And, uh, but I always like to try and transact in U.S. dollars. But of course, you got to end up changing that in for other kind of stuff. But culture is the currency of your church. And you want to return on the currency of your church, the investment and what you're using there and what you're doing there that is kind of U.S. dollars. It's really strong and it's, it's significant and it's great. But if you don't understand some of these things we're going to talk about related to currency, uh, related to culture, it's actually going to feel more like you're trying to trade in like, you know, rupees or denarii or something. And it takes 10 trillion of them to make a little tiny movement in what is going on because we haven't figured out culture. So I'm going to give you four things around culture and then we're going to talk about it, all right? Culture, something that is culture. Culture is determined or it is visible and you see it in the what and the how you, your church speaks. It's the what they say and the how they say it. And... Um, what, what, is, what is heard in your foyers is an outflow of what is said by your staff, and what is said by your staff and leaders is an outflow of what they overhear you talking about when you're not talking to them. When we're talking to them, we, 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 we say the right things, but what they overhear you and I saying when they're not near us and we're talking to another staff person or we're talking to somebody in our church, there are things that may come out of us that we really don't realize come out of us that maybe aren't the intentional things because when I'm talking to my staff, I'm usually really intentional. And you're probably the same way. I get my staff in a room. I'm talking about stuff. I use specific language. I reiterate mission. I'm very intentional with my language and where we're going. But sometimes in my conversations that aren't that intentional context, there's things that bubble out of me. And that's really the undercurrent of who I am and the DNA of what our church will become. And I hear that end up being said from my staff to their leadership teams are in the foyer. And what you and I have to realize is the beginnings of all that is not in them. It's in you when you're not thinking about it. And so if the, the culture of your church is driven by the what we say and the how we say it. So I, I would, one of the things that I, I like to do and, and um, you know, be, be all cards on the table, right? There, there are months and seasons where I'm really great at this. And there are months and seasons where this erodes for me, like probably it does for all of us in certain areas where I will, where I will take some time where I will sit down and I will, I will write not just our values, but I will write kind of catchphrases, things that I find myself saying just that kind of bubble out naturally. What are those things that just kind of bubble out? What's kind of a catchphrase or a free thought that, that might bubble out? And I try and get them listed so I can analyze which ones actually don't reinforce the values and the culture that I want in our church. 
And it's not just catchy mission statements, and it's not just, you know, tweetable stuff in your messages. Those things are great, but it's the, it's the stuff that you don't realize comes out of you that you say and the way you say it when you're not being intentional. That's the stuff that will erode your culture, or it will reinforce and build the kind of healthy culture that you can lean on when something is broken. And kids' ministry breaks, and your worship pastor leaves. And your student ministries guy, you know, messes around with a student and you have to deal with, like, I mean, stuff breaks. And if that, if we aren't intentional outside so we can create that kind of culture to lean on when something's broken, we'll have the risk of collapse. So what we say and how we say it is uh, the first indicator and probably the best metric related to our culture. Here's another thing I say about culture. Look at the flavor of your function. Look at the flavor of your function. How do things feel and taste and smell when, when you walk through whatever the place is, whether it's the offices, whether it's the foyer, whether it's you know, the, the, the family night that's down at the local park or the zoo? Like, What is the flavor of it? How does it smell and feel? Is it full of laughter? Is it full of enthusiasm? Is it full of excitement? Would you ever want to be there if you didn't have to be? What's the flavor of the function of your ministry that that what you see playing out that flavor is what you have established either intentionally or by default or, or unintentionally by default and evaluate the flavor the feel um, of how those functions go um, we we have a saying around here we talk about this uh, all the time we ask this question does that look like life song does that feel like life song whatever it is does it feel like us if it doesn't feel like us, if it doesn't have our flavor, then it's creating a culture we don't mean for it to create, and we have to protect that and defend that because at some point, I'm going to have to lean on it. And uh, if I don't really work hard to protect it by evaluating, is that us, then we'll get into a place where um, I'm, I'm, I don't have something to lean on, okay? So the flavor of your function. Here's, a, here's another uh, thing we talk about. Um, does your church, does your culture provide engagement more than entertainment? Is the culture of your church engaging more than entertaining? Thanks, sweetheart. Yeah, come on right there. Culture. <laughs> that's culture. Yeah, yeah right there. So um, that's my baby right there. Um, so uh, is it, do, we, do we find our, our church community? Do I find the person in the fifth row and in the 15th row being more engaged than they are entertained by whatever goes on? Um, this is, you know, we're, we are, our, our style of ministry and, and flavor of ministry um, can, can lead to, if we're not careful, a context where people show up for the show more than they show up to encounter and engage God. And it, when, that, when we don't protect the engagement because we're pleased with the entertainment, we'll end up with people who are constantly dissatisfied instead of constantly who are the deliverers of satisfaction. And um, entertainment more than engagement, you, you need to evaluate that because it is easy to be happy with the function that we like and what pleases our eyes and our ears, and, and by, I want that as much as anybody, but it's easy to let that trump the engagement piece. And so do you evaluate, do you talk about, do, do you look at, is your culture a culture of engagement in whatever it is, whether it's passionate worship, whether it's communal service like Pastor Randy was talking about? Can you imagine? I mean, I, when he told me that story this week, is, you know, the, we, we didn't get to have our 15th birthday, and he was talking about being able to drive out on Sunday and deliver and be church. On, I was like... That's a culture I want. I want a church that says, I don't give a crap whether we're having a birthday party. We got to go be the church. Like, let's get over it and go be the church. And, and, and here's the deal. And I'm, I'm sure you heard this, but he led that. 
That wasn't just his serve team or his outreach director or the staff that he sat in the back room and texted, hey, get your butt in your truck and deliver some water. It was, I'm going to get in my truck, I'm going to go down there, I'm going to load up, and I'm going to go do it. And so the, the, his church is a church of engagement. Do we evaluate engagement? Engagement doesn't just happen in the auditorium. It happens in every area and culture um, that you want and that you can lean on fosters engagement, not entertainment. Here's the, here's the next thing. Um, uh, do you, I, I think a healthy culture, a culture that can be, lean, be leaned on, is a culture that promotes authenticity over argument. Authenticity over argument. And uh, that does not mean that there aren't disagreements. In fact, the, the fact that there is authenticity means there will be disagreement. That's the nature of authenticity. Being able to talk about and speak to and engage whatever is really going on will probably bring up some opportunity to disagree. But if our, if our culture is afraid of argument, we'll never have authenticity. And when there is something broken, we'll need to lean on authenticity to get it fixed. But if we've not nurtured authenticity, all we'll do is find ourselves fighting over the broken places and the missing unhealthy whatever is broken and we have nothing to lean on promote and figure out does your culture have is the culture of your church authentic not just argumentative authenticity will create disagreement but if it's healthy you can navigate that if it's not you find constant battles and arguments okay here's the here's the last thing we're gonna do some some q a okay these are going to move pretty quickly from from one of us to the next um here's here's a way to determine whether your culture is healthy ask your staff who they'd fall on their sword for Ask your staff, who would they fall on their sword for? Mm, that's a great question. Who on our team would you fall on your sword for? And if you find them saying, and I, I can tell you that, that I've, I've asked a couple of these questions to a couple of our staff, and, and there's been a long pause. And I'd love to say that that long pause is, I can't pick just one. But that was not what was going on. There was a, there was a long pause because they were trying to figure out do I believe in, am I, am I committed to, am I on the same team as the rest of the people on my staff such that if there was a hard thing or they needed someone to go to war for them, I'd be willing to do it. And um, when, you're, when your staff can answer that question well and, and hopefully say things like, I can't pick just one, but if they can say, you know who it would be? It would be Jake. It would be Phil. You know, I'd fall on my sword for Pastor Daly. You know who it is? It's Laura. I'd go fall. When that stuff bubbles out, then you've got a culture that's a crutch that when, when there is a broken moment, you can lean on that. And your, and your church will be able to be stable through all the messy moments and through the hard moments. And we all know that those aren't going to stop, right? <laughs> it's impossible that those times come. So um, there, there's, there's 10 minutes on culture. So um, we're going to do 10, 15 minutes of Q&A, all right? Or comments. You may say, man, you know, here's something that we had to, to, to deal with, and, and this is how we addressed it or whatever. So we're going to take 10 or 15 minutes on culture. we got mics, right? John and Chris, come on down here, guys. Bring this right up here. And um, in fact, if we can have one more mic, maybe, Brendan, can you bring me one more mic? Because uh, I want uh, Pastor Dino or Derek or Randy to be able to weigh in on any of this, too, if they'd like to. That'd be great. Thank you. All right, man, you're up. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Eric Bucci from Cheshire, Connecticut. That's what I wanted. Great. Cornerstone Church. Yeah. I believe pastor there. Excellent. Quick, quick question. And one thing I noticed uh, through Grow and Chris Hodges, Pastor Chris Hodges, and a lot of folks that we follow, uh, is the uh, amazing, the language of the church. Mm. It's like everyone seems to have the, the same phrases. Yep. Now, obviously, that's intentional. Yep. But 
how do you foster that, um, the language? Because I noticed the language creates the culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, it actually enforces the culture or it subtracts mm -hmm. from the culture. Sure. Uh, and so I, I get that aspect of it. Like, like when I preach, I always ask people, I want them coming away this way saying, well, how? Well, the question is how sure. do you engage that culture? Obviously, you say it from the pulpit. Uh, sure. You say it when you're walking around. Yeah. But how do you, you know, what have you found, not just yourself but others, that have been very effective in getting that culture, the talk, the right words, the right phrases, mm. without being dictatorial, but at the same time, it, it's very, very important. Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple things, and then, of course, any of you guys jump in. Um, so one of the things that, that we have done for a long time is, um, I, obviously, we talk about it, and we reiterate in our staff meetings, and I expect and ask all of our staff to take that same thing that we talk about, our mission statement, I'll come back to that in a minute, and take that into their staff meeting and reiterate our mission statement, how we say it, in their team meetings, and then in our huddles on Sunday morning with all of our teams, we always lead with it. So it, 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 I, I, from the pulpit, can say it a trillion times yep. and get sick and tired of saying it. Um, but what we found is the most effective is the requirement. You say you don't want to get dictatorial about it. There are a couple of things I think you should be dictatorial about. This is one of them. Um, I think you should require that they include and reinforce value, value language that's consistent and mission language that's consistent. And so... Um, we require them or, or we invite them to take that back to their staff meeting and then into our huddles on Sunday morning. And so let me give you a one quick example. So our, our um, mission, not our vision, our vision is to reach 2% of Metro Worcester over the coming years. Met Worcester's a little under 500,000 people. And um, I believe God's called us to reach 2% of Metro Worcester where we'll be able to command influence over you know, finances, politics, education, all kinds of things because we'll be a large enough church to, to, they have to pay attention. And so that's our vision. But missionally, everything that we do, our mission is to help people who are far from God find him and build a relationship with him. That, and that's what we say, and I say it a bajillion times. We had a, um, a social media post, uh, I don't know, it goes back to, I think I preached a vision message in August, and the, the post that went up, like two of the words were left out. To help people who are far from God find him and build relationships with him. I was like, nope, that's not it. What do you mean it's not it? That's exactly it. No, it's not. To help people who are far from God find him and build a relationship with him. So the fact that you left out a word and added an S is enough different that when someone hears it from me on Sunday morning and they hear it slightly, they hear just two different words, it gets eroded that easily. So you have to ensure dictatorially that every single place that our mission statement is seen and heard, it is spoken correctly, it is presented correctly, the words are right, or you get a watered-down version of it. And someone in your church says, yeah, we want people to meet God and know him. Like, that's not our mission. Well, sure it is. It sounds just, is that what we're trying to do? No. Like, yes, but no, that's not it. So um, that's what we do. That, that's a way. You, you guys want to add? Derek, Dino, Randy, want to add to that? I think that um, creating an expectation, adjusting your expectation. First of all, I think you have to say it, spray it, and spew it. And I think we don't, we think we're doing it a lot as senior leaders. We're not. It's never enough. So I think that's a huge thing. I think also adjusting with vision and values, which are influencing culture. Um, 
that you're not the only one and I'm not the only one that's carrying that. So you want to encourage your entire leadership that everybody is a vision and value carrier. So um, because they just think you're the visionary, so you got it. So I had to adjust the thinking of our church that, you know, it wasn't just a one-man show that's leading the vision. We're all. It's, 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 it's essential that everybody sees themselves as vision carriers. And then I think you look for places to, um, um, you know, get, get those things out. And, and uh, Pastor Dave was just talking about that with the staff. Sometimes you can do that in um, different circles of influence. So you can do it on, on Sunday mornings. We do that in our pre-service experience. So we, we have like a, we can call it different terms, pre-rally, pre-op, whatever you want to call it. But we make sure we get, we get those things in to the pre-service experience. So before they go out to minister to all the people that are coming, the vision and values are on their mind because they were reminded that morning. It's good. It's great. You guys want to add anything? Good. Good. Great. Great. Good. It's helpful. Pastor Dino. That's my oldest daughter right there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who else? Who has a question? There's one right here. Our situation's a little unique. Uh, David Sankster, uh, Life, New Life Church, Enfield, Connecticut. Yeah. Okay. Um, our situation is a little unique. His sister's one of our worship leaders, by the way. Yeah. And she's awesome. She Just is awesome. Give a shout out to yeah, Jess. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, our situation is a little bit unique in that we're a revitalization church. And so we, we kind of a inherited a culture mm -hmm. and we're trying to change it uh, adapt it mm -hmm. and make it what yeah. my wife and i have dreamed of as mm -hmm. being culture and just i'm just curious as anybody in here has had experience with that and how to best influence the culture uh that is kind of set already mm -hmm. and you're trying to uh, take it to a new place mm. okay so first let me do this how many of you have are have gone through or in the middle of a similar description there. Just put your hand up real quick. Okay, a bunch of you guys ha went through or are currently in the middle of a, a kind of a revitalization, transformation of culture, turn the ship stuff. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand back up, take that microphone. I want all of you who raised your hand to take out your cell phone right now. Take out your cell phone, all of you guys, that you went through it or you're in it right now. Grab your cell phone. Here's what I want you to do. Dave is going to give you his phone number. You're going to text him your name and phone number right now and your church. So that y'all can stay in touch about this because turning a big ship and revitalizing a church mm. is a long journey. Yep. This three-minute conversation ain't going to solve it. Yeah. So um, you need his number and he needs yours, okay? You ready, Dave? Okay. So Slowly, for those of us who can't count above four. 860. 860. Yeah, slow down, professor. Yeah. 309-860. 860-309-236. Three. Thanks, yeah, yeah, excellent. Thanks. Well done. Appreciate Good. It. Everybody get that? Good. All right. So um, you need it again? Oh, David Sangster. One more time. S-A-N-G-S-T-E-R. David Sangster. Eight, six, oh, That's a zero. Three, yeah. oh, nine, two, three, six, three. I'm going to get spammed, man. No. You know, this, these, these are going to be all the text messages you've been dying to get from guys who are walking where you're walking, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Awesome, yeah, lifelock. Um, so uh, I, I, I'm, I don't know that I'm the best person to speak to it because um, we planted, and so we got to establish culture 
out of the gate. Um, what I can say is 11 years after we launched, some of the things that we're doing and trying to establish culturally are not exactly the same as where we started. So there's a measure of turning, but it was culture I created, so I have some authority to tweak that culture. Um, so I, I don't know that I'm the best person. But uh, what I would say is one of the healthiest ways to retain, uh, have enough uh, equity and authority to be able to get buy-in for culture change is to not diminish the culture of the past. So honor the culture that you came from while you are reframing the culture you want to establish. Um, that, is not, that, that does not mean you have to say this is the best culture or this culture was, is the culture that you know, is right or that this culture was wrong. But this culture and this thing, this process, this whatever was wonderful. And look what, look what happened as a result of it and all of that. And then being able to say, and so as, I, as we build on that, we're going to look like this. I would say you will get buy-in from people who are having a hard time with a future culture if you will honor first instead of rush into the change. Anything? Anything? Yeah, Jonathan. Trust is the um, currency that you need to earn. Without trust, nothing's going to happen. Mm. So trust is that connection. So you got to get them to trust you first, because they'll buy into. They'll, they always buy into you before they buy into your vision. Mm. So they got to buy into you. And so if you can set the platform of trust, then trust is that permission to go ahead and lead and change the culture. Yeah. Trust is really the key. Yeah. That's great, Pastor Jonathan. It's excellent. Good. All right, let's do, uh, if, if we got time. Oh, we got one more? Yeah, so another comment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Van to Cody, yeah. Uh, uh, Northwood Church in Gulfport. Uh, I took our church through a complete renovation about eight or nine years ago. Uh, I think that's true. Trust is great. And also not speaking down to other vision. We just sort of quit talking about the culture that we had. Mm. Just sort of, you know, a lot of things that you ignore in your church, they just diminish, they just go away. And so we stopped talking about it. And what we did, we showed that the new culture, the new vision was gaining so much momentum. It, you know, culture and vision is like a, a, a large man in a small room with a big mouth. When it's speaking... Uh, Nobody else has anything to say. It's successful. Yeah. It's moving forward. Yeah. And it's making a lot of racket. And so anybody who's having problems with it, they <laughs> they may hate it, but they can't argue with it. Yeah. That's yeah. Everybody wants to hear that again. Oh, vi yeah. Vision and values and all these great things we talk about. When it's moving forward, it's like a large man. I, I didn't say a fat man. It's a large man. <laughs> large man in a small room with a big mouth. And when that thing is going, man, you know how it is. When yeah. people come in the room, they just capture the There's no the room, room for anything else. No room. And, and all the people that are talking, they're just like, oh. <laughs> and vision is speaking and culture yeah. speaking. So, yeah. But be patient because you can run people off, but that's not your goal. Mm. Your goal is to keep people and bring them along. You, some yeah. of your older people will take a little bit longer to come. Your, your younger people will change quickly. And every new person who comes in the new culture don't know anything about the old. So right. That's why I say don't keep bringing up the old, bringing up the old, bringing up the old, because they don't even know. Yeah. They're brand new. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Van, there are going to be 9,000 people that tweet that, that what you just said, a large man in a small room with a big mouth. So uh, will you put Van's um, handle up on the screen so people can give him credit for that? That would be good. Yeah. 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 At David underscore Payne. That's exactly right. Good.
uh, hey, listen, let's, uh, let's do this. That was great. Um, we have more conversation about it. Um, Pastor Dino, why don't you come and share for a few minutes? Give us, give us 10 or 15 minutes of uh, wisdom, and then we're going to ask some questions around that, all right? Uh, if you don't know, this is Pastor Dino Rizzo. Uh, Dino is the executive pastor, executive director of the Association of Related Churches, yeah. founded Healing Place Church, and um, has been doing this in, in a long time, author of the book Servolution, um, instiller of all things outreach and compassion. Um, unbelievable. So um, you better get ready to take some notes right here. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Hey, let's give it up for Pastor D. That was awesome. That was great. That was great. And uh, stud leaders in this room, I mean, what a, what a great word that, that Randy gave us. And uh, I made big notes so I could re-preach that message and give that brother no credit. As the Lord was leading me the other day in my Deuteronomy reading, I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the unsandaled life. Come on. I'll be tweeting that out later so I can own it before you do. And so anyway, it's so fantastic. It was a great word. And uh, I'll talk more about my relationship with Randy, how important it is to my life. And so it's an honor to be here. So stud leaders and David, all, Derek, everyone's here. Van DeCody is a Louisiana legend. Uh, just, I mean, he's just a Cajun. He's a part of the Cajun mafia. He's a made man, if you know what I'm talking about. And so, and then, then we got the godfather of the Northeast right here. Come on, Paisan, uh, pronto, pronto. It's uh, another Italian, but uh, what a great church, what a great team. Let me, let me just share for a few minutes because we want to hear from, from some of the other guys. Um, I feel I'm, I'm, I love the season that I'm in right now. Um, I, I love uh, the, the few things I'm, I'm giving my life uh, to right now. I think there are different seasons of your life that you, you focus on, you give your life to. Uh, you've got to be able to know those seasons. Randy talked about adjustments, which is huge. Uh, being able to make adjustments as a pastor, as a leader, uh, as someone that's responsible for things like many of you are. Um, four things I give my life to right now. I give my life to church planters, which I so enjoy with our, our role at ARC, um, helping church planters, talk to them every day. I love what's happening, uh, hearing their heart, the new ways that they're planting churches, the new ways they're going into urban environments. Uh, just incredible, incredible. And uh, I, I spend a lot of time with pastors now. I don't, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm, you know, somebody said that, well, you're now the pastor to pastor. Not really. Uh, I, I just, I feel like a brother. You know, I just, I want to come alongside as an older brother. Uh, to pastors and and be a part of that and I, I and I still continue to, to give my life hopefully to the poor and so that's a big role that I have at Highlands Oversee Outreach and the poor and still continue to get that down to the uh, let that be a strong tentacle in my life uh, to the poor spend time with the poor and and their their plight um, and then also spend a lot of time with those in pain so it's probably every day I'm talking to someone who's in a risk they're, they're either mitigating risk they're dealing with risk in their family, their children, uh, their personal life, uh, in their church. Uh, I mean, four, four situations this week uh, with pain and risk and tough situations from an, uh, you know, as a, either as a overseer working with a pastor or a pastor working with a, a rogue staff or uh, an internal pain, an internal situation. So... It's, it's funny how I think they all kind of go together, you know, uh, that, that most, planters, most planters are poor and, and most pastors have pain. And so you just interchange any of those words in any given day 
for the pastor and his wife. Can I have a good amen? Uh, my, my wife and I, we planted our church together. Uh, she, has, she worked for the first two years of the church. Uh, I cut grass on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. She got up on, on Monday morning and went to work. And we could not have made it without her paycheck. She helped fund. She was the original donor to our church. She was the funding mechanism of Healing Place Church back in 1993 when we came over the mountain in wagons to plant a church and covered wagons. That was our mobile church as we, we drug it with a mule. And everybody talks about a truck and trailer now. I was trying to feed my mule so I could plant a church back in those days. Uh, you know, and so she was the one that was, was helping that. So just navigating that a little bit. Um, I, I love the place and I love the age that I'm at. Uh, I enjoy being 53 now more than ever. I think there was a time I was not looking forward to getting older. Uh, I wouldn't want to be young. I wouldn't want to be 43. I don't want to be 33. I don't look back and say, man, I wish I was younger. I can't wait to be like 90. I mean, it's just, you just, you just, you enjoy it. You, you say what you want and you go to bed. Come on. You don't care. I don't care what you think about me. I ain't worried about it. Put a label on me. Call me what you want. I don't care what you think about me. It's 730. I'm going to get ready for bed. And so I'm enjoying my life. But here's the two things that it's giving me. Um, I, I like the place that I'm at with perspective. I love the perspective uh, of pastoring for 20 years, a, a great church, uh, uh, and then and continues to be a great church. And then I love being on a team now at a great church. So I, I sat at the head of the table for 20 years. Now I sit at the side of the table at a team. And then getting to lead at ARC along with some great guys. So um, th there's just some stuff you learn when you get older. And uh, some stuff you learn when you pastor. It's my 32nd year of ministry. And um, I remember being in India about seven, eight years ago. Probably, no, it was probably more 10 years ago. Uh, with Tommy Barnett. And I had a moment with him. Uh, it was late after one of Joyce Meyer's deal, and just he and I were still up. We went and had uh, French fries at about midnight, and it was just he and I. We spent two hours together, and I said, "How do you? How do I get to you? How do I? How do I finish strong?" And uh, I never forget to me. He said, "Now are, he said, now finishing strong doesn't mean finishing perfect. And you need to determine those two things. No one finishes perfect, but everybody can finish strong." What did he do? He gave me a perspective from 70 years old. I needed that perspective as it relates to ministry and life and family and things that are dear and, and helping others. And uh, we had a great talk that night. He gave me five things about how to finish strong. Um, it was, and they were things I was not expecting. There were things that I didn't think was going to come out of his mouth and, uh, and things that I would have probably not put on the list. Uh, Brother Van, he, he said, you need to wear good shoes. Can't have bad feet and do ministry a long time. So don't wear $10 shoes. Go ahead and buy you some Italian shoes. I was like, glory to God. That's from the Lord. And he said, don't drive crazy cars. He said, you drive a $50,000 truck, but you can't drive a $20,000 Mercedes. Not, not in your world. And, you know, he just gave me practical advice. He said, make sure there's something in your home where it's a sanctuary, your closet, your back porch. Build a house that you enjoy. If you live in an apartment, have something in the apartment that you enjoy because you need to be truly be able to get away. You've got to have something. And he said, take more vacations and, uh, with your family. Make memories with your kids because they're going to get older and, 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 and you won't be able to make memories with them. And, and I'm, I'm not thinking this is what 50 years of ministry looks like. And then the, the last thing, uh, 
he said was, uh, you know, be able to um, uh, go when you travel, don't travel so hard. You know, think, think, you know, stay somewhere decent. Uh, If you get a better seat on the plane, get a better seat on the plane. He was talking about 50 and finishing strong. So it was so interesting how he shared that with me. So I, I wrote down a little list this morning as I was thinking about life and I wrote down five practical um, ideas uh, of keeping perspective as you do ministry. I'm just going to give it to you. There was some little, little Q and A um, of what I'm learning at, at 53 and, and, and 32 years of ministry and traveling, working with some planners, being, be, get to uh, speak out some on the weekends, and uh, get to be in some great churches. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, there's some great churches around the world. There's some fantastic churches. I'm in them all the time. I'm in more great churches than I am medium, uh, average churches. I mean, there's just, I was in a church this past week, two weekends ago in, in Dallas, uh, Earl McKellen. Uh, oh, my gosh. One of the greatest churches I've been in. One of the greatest churches I've ever walked in, in, in Dallas, uh, Lakeshore, Dallas. Came out of, I think it was Rob Cope's church in Austin. Uh, he's been there six, seven years. Phenomenal. Just I walked in and thought, this could be one of the best churches I've ever been in. And, and, and you know, you, just, you, you see this constantly. And, um, and so you see this. So these are some things I'm learning. And then we'll, we'll, we'll do some Q&A possibly. But here's the first thing. Uh, I think if you're going to do ministry and stay healthy and, and keep perspective, is you can't live overreacting. I was, an overreact, uh, I was an overreacting leader too much. Just overreacted too much. I kept the blood pressure too high. I kept the growth pressure too high. I kept the success pressure too high. I kept the approval pressure too high. And, uh, and I don't think you can overact to others. It's just, it's never as bad as it seems. It's never as good as it seems. People are going to leave. People are going to go. People are going to hate you. People are going to love you. And some of the ones that love you will eventually hate you. I'll never forget when Joyce Myers said this a couple years ago at a staff uh, deal at Highland. She said, here's what I figured out when I was about 55. I finally got free. She said, uh, out of 100% of the people who know you, any given day, 10% of them can't stand you. And every day that 10% shifts and changes. It's a new 10%. She said, I live, I live 55 years for the 10% who didn't like me. I think I'm going to live the rest of my life for the 90% of the ones who celebrate me. And I think so often we're overreacting to the 10% of the people who don't like us. And so I just say, I, I've just decided in my life, I'm not overreacting if I disappoint people, if, it, if things don't go well. Does it give me an excuse? Can I have a good amen? I'm not looking to offend. I'm not looking to, to not be there for someone. I'm not looking not to forget to email them. I'm, I don't wake up saying, hey, I'm not texting them back. It's just in there's moments in life where uh, things happen. So I think one of the th- ways to stay healthy is don't live overreacting. Uh, here's the second one. Don't live overthinking. I've, I've got a, a, a practice now. That uh, when I'm the last moment, when I finish preaching, I don't think about it. By the t- when I, I my commitment is once I walk off the stage, I don't think about it again. I live my life re-preaching my sermons and thinking over, overthinking about my myself too much. I just overthought about how was that? What, hey, I just was overthinking too much. I, I'm going to tell you right now, the other day I spoke at Highlands and, uh, you know, a, 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 a great church. And 
I got in the car, and I'm telling you right now, I got in the car. All I was thinking about was getting to that restaurant, getting that chicken. Come on. The limb was like, what did you think about church? It was great. It was fine. Man, I wonder if they got okra today. That's all I'm worried about. Do they have okra today? She said, are you, I mean, you just, that was, she started saying some kind things to me about the message. And look at this opportunity. My Lord, look what God has done in our lives, blah, blah, blah. Look what he's done. And I said, baby, that is awesome. But I don't want to talk about that. It is over. It is done with. Everybody else is going to get okra. Let's go get okra. So I'm telling you right now, they're not thinking about us. Some of you, you didn't believe it. You didn't say amen. You think they're thinking about you. They're not thinking about you. Okay? And it's the whole principle, John Maxwell. The day you die, conversation an hour later, is there, hour in the, is there onions in the potato salad? They're just not thinking about you. We think about us, they don't. So I would encourage you, don't overthink about yourself. When you get done preaching, you're done preaching. Let's go to soccer. Let's get Netflix. Let's hang out. Let's cut the grass. Let's be normal. It's not normal to think about yourself all the time. That's not normal. Here's the third thing is don't live overtired. I'll tell you the best thing you do for your wife, sleep. Best thing you can do for your sex life, sleep. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, tell you right now, you can't lead overtired. Can't be a good dad, can't be a good mom, can't be a good friend, can't be a good leader. I lived for years not sleeping. For seven years I didn't sleep. And then sadly I medicated myself with Ambien. Ambien will make you have irrational thoughts. When you, when you have to live on other ways to sleep. And one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life was when God began to deal with me about my sleeping patterns. That I couldn't be a healthy leader. I couldn't be a good dad. And, and that happened five years ago when I walked through what I walked through and stepped down from the church and transitioned. One of my biggest problems in life was I did not sleep. I did not rest. I couldn't turn it off. Again, that's not healthy. That's not normal. So I want to encourage you, if you're going to have a good perspective about launching a campus, about culture, uh, about uh, growing a student ministry, about planning a church, you got you got to be able to, you got to be able to rest. Got to be able to go to sleep at night and just get get some sleep. Here's here's a fourth thing, and I'm almost done. Is um, don't live always own. Uh, what I but what I what I mean by that is um, let me say it like this: Jesus died for the church. You don't need to. He already died. You don't need to kill yourself over it. He already died for it. There's no need for you to die for it. So take a vacation. No one's leaving your church because you're not in the pulpit. FYI. I know it's hard for you to believe, man. If I'm not there, they kind of like me. Kind of when I'm not there, they kind of like, you know, Pastor, uh, that, you know, a lot of people call. I, I hear pastors tell me this all the time. It is nauseating. A lot of people call on Friday and want to know who's preaching. And if Pastor David's preaching, I'll be there. But they, they don't want to hear from Roger or Randy or Dino so, you know, I, I got, you know, I need, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't want to come if Pastor Derek's not preaching. I'm going to tell you right now, those aren't healthy people. So if you're living your life on the people who call on Friday and they want to know who's preaching, you are not normal. Okay, so nobody leaves your church because you preach 32, 36, or 40. They're not even there all those weeks. 
They don't know how many times you're preaching. Now, you can't not ever preach and be gone all the time and travel every weekend. And, okay, you can't do that. But I'm just telling you right now. Can I just encourage you right now? You just, you know, don't, don't, don't live so busy. Just take a vacation. Take some time off. Enjoy yourself. I mean, it, just rest a little. Uh, just so encouraging. I look back on my life. I didn't do it enough. I preached too much. Uh, there, there was about 15 years of my life I never did not preach Two week, two weekends back to back. I only would miss one Sunday. I never in nine, in about seventeen years did did not preach two weekends because if I wasn't preach traveling preaching, and so just want to encourage you. And then the last thing I think is so important is don't live uh, over uh, uh, don't live with with too much technology. It's just you know it's just good sometimes to just say I don't think I'm gonna look at Instagram this week. I don't really want. I don't really care what other people are doing. I'm. I'm, I'm not going to live with FOMO, fear of missing out. I'm just not going to have that fear in my life. I'm not going to let that fear control my life. Fear of missing out. I just. I mean, I just need to know what in the world is Randy doing this week. I need to know what Randy's doing. And then you see Randy going to soccer with his kids, and you think my kids don't play soccer. They're losers. <laughs> They're soccer players. Why wouldn't my kid, you go in and you get mad at your son because he's not a good soccer player because you're missing out on soccer because Randy looked like he was having so much fun at soccer. You're taking your kid to art class. Now you jacked up. Every once in a while, it's good to just cut off the screens and, and look at the, the scenes. And so... I try to spend more time now in my backyard. Then I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. I always remember the, the hardest thing to, to, in perspective relating to that, the hardest thing for you to recharge is your emotional health. Spiritually, you can listen to a song, read a verse, and you're, it's amazing how God can fill your battery up in five minutes. Have you ever been low spiritually and sang a song and had a moment with God? In one moment, hear one sermon. Uh, physically, sometimes you can take a nap or sleep. And you're good in eight hours, ten hours. Um, uh, socially, sometimes you could feel lonely or feel uh, uh, disconnected or, with, or withdrawn. And I could probably spend ten minutes with Randy or Derek and in f ten minutes be like, man, now I know why I love you so much. I'm like, we, I, I, I can be with Van. I, I went and spoke for him a while back. I'm five minutes with him and I'm like, we're best friends. Isn't that amazing how you can't see people for a while and socially your battery is just recharged? I mean, it's, your emotions are not like that. Your emotional health takes time. And it normally takes being outside. And it normally takes being away from certain things where your mind is at ease. And so uh, what I do differently now is I sit on my back porch. I drink hot tea. I watch, I'm into my dog. I just look at the, I go and, we, I, I'm on a golf course now, and ain't no shame. I love my house. I love the lot I live on now, and I, every morning I go look for golf balls. I don't really play golf much, but I like the idea of finding golf balls. And I just go, and I just go, and Delaney's like, don't you have somewhere to be? So she said, don't you have somewhere to be? I said, I'm going to go look for a golf ball. Now, can I tell you something? I have more responsibility now than I did even uh, when I pastored Healing Place. But I'm not going to let it live. I'm not going to let me live my life overreacting.
because he died for the church. I don't need to die for the church. So that's all I have to say about that. Uh, any, any questions or any comments? Or? That every single thing you said felt like a punch in the stomach. So um, I've also heard that it's impossible to live your life with balance. It needs to be like in rhythms, right? It's like those busy times. Sure. But I find myself more reactionary to the things that are happening. And I, yeah. I have a hard time finding. Because you're a leader. Those healthy rhythms. I'd just like to hear what your, how do you, what does your month look like? Or, or a week oh look God. like? Or like how do you find well, those healthy rhythms? Well, here's the deal. Let me be a cautionary tale. Remember me standing up here in front of you. If you don't live your life healthy, you will, what you're doing will be taken away from you. Okay, so it'll be gone. And uh, let me tell you something. People go on without you. As important as David is to this church, if he left tomorrow, they are going to the store, they are going to dinner, and they will be back in this church eventually, or some church. So I think uh, in my life right now, I try to have perspective on what Randy talked about. It is all about Jesus. So my most important task is to pray, and my, I actually have a prayer life now that has nothing to do with my position, my presentation, and other people's perspective of me. I lived a lot of time being spiritual because I felt like other people needed me to be spiritual. So I have a prayer life now that has nothing to do. Most of my prayer life is for devotion with Jesus. So I probably spend 80% of my prayer life with Jesus, 20% on presentation. I, I, I had that, that wrong for a lot of years. For years, it was to lead the church, to, to preach, to, to answer questions. And, so, and I spent 80% of my prayer life on, I guess, the outward, 20% on the inward. So now I flip that, and I feel like I'm preaching out of the overflow of that. And so I think my prayer life has changed. Uh, the most important people in my life, truly, not just from the stage or during a family series, are the people that bear my last name. And, and again, I'm not, and I'm, not, I'm not doing a family series right now and trying to press anybody. My kids are awesome. I truly believe, as God is my witness, the most important people, and there's not a close second, are the five people that bear my last name or, or the four people that. They're the most important. There's not a close second. And then the third thing probably is I have rich friendships now that I'm 100% with. I never went 100% with anybody. I'm Italian. Right here. I ain't going 100% with nobody because if I go 100%, what I have you want. You're going to take, you want something from me. I trust factors like crazy. So now I have deep friendships, and uh, I spent time on Tuesday with a, a dear friend, and, uh, and we said when we got in the car, let's not talk about the church. That's so dreadful and so boring. Let's talk about life. Let's go deep. Let's get beyond the church and leadership and we're preaching and all that. Let's sit and talk about our pain, our life, our struggle, our wives and our kids. And we spent three, three and a half hours together talking about life and things like that. So I think for me, I need to keep those rhythms. I need to sleep. I need to pray. Uh, I need to care about my family. Uh, I need to text my daughters every morning. I need to text my son a verse every morning. Uh, I need to follow up with them midday. Uh, I need to, before I go to bed, I need to make sure I've, I've communicated with my children. Uh, I need to stop and look at my wife and listen to her talk. 
and she can go on for hours. I said, stop. So focus, like pray. So listen to her. That's amazing. I had no idea they had that jacket on 30% sale at Macy's. Oh, my God. What else do they have at Macy's? Let's get the computer out, and let's see if we can find a pair of jeans to match the jacket. Let's, I'm getting my, let's talk, let's go, let's search right now. Open your computer. Let's find a pair of jeans. So I have to have those rhythms of normality because uh, my responsibility in ministry, like all of yours, is at a high altitude. And I'm breathing thin air a lot, leading and trying to make decisions and preaching. Is there one other question before we finish up? You, you might have just answered all this, but I'm going to ask it again anyhow. Um, so that last summer versus this summer, a lot of change. A lot of, so my life seems to be different as a pastor. Okay. And um, we were talking about this coming up. Just the pressure of I, last summer I could be at everything. Now I can't. And, I, you know, well, what are they going to think? What are, you know, and how do you deal with that? Like, I don't, and maybe you just answered that, but like the inward me, I love the idea. It's not about me. Whoever said that earlier, like Randy it's not did. about me. And it's just that reminder. But I've been inwardly struggling. And my wife and I almost find ourselves saying yes to a lot because we don't want to hurt anybody. Oh, yeah. I was addicted to yes. Yeah, and, and so I was, I was shooting up yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was snorting well, I yes. I feel like that's where we are. That's I was a yes addict. I was on the narcotic of yes. And tell me tell you something. Because here's remember. This is important. I'll finish up. The, the, the narcotic, the, the gateway drug, the gateway drug to the, the, the narcotic of success because it is, it is, an, it is an, a narcotic, is uh, the gateway drug is yes, approval. But here's the deal. So I still have to be there for people. So what I do better now than I've ever done is I, I have blocks of time. So I have a leadership coach in my life like you do coaching here because we're late. I have a leadership coach in my life who holds my feet to the fire with my blocks of time. So I have a block of time. Not for, uh, there's, a, there's 20 or 30 friends that that doesn't count for. If Randy bees it, I've, I've, there are about 20 people that I, if I'm in a meeting, if I'm having a conversation, I will answer the phone. I will call them right back. There's executive team at ARC. That's a few other friends. So if Randy called me on a Tuesday and said, I need you here, I'm really going to do all I can to be there for him because he's in my life and, and we do life together. But I ain't, I'm not giving everybody else permission like that anymore. I have a block of people like that, and then we have, you know, 700-something churches arc, another eight, 900 relationship. So I have blocks of time where I, I communicate. So about, there's like, a, there's about an hour a day where I work on my phone, and I text. And I just text. I communicate. I communicate. I communicate. So I live my life in better blocks now than I used to. Everything used to be more blurred. Everything was fuzzy. Um, anyone could interrupt me in my office. My door was always open. It's not like that now because that's not a healthy way for the organization and for the call on my life. So I try to live in blocks of time. And then when I, when I step, when I get in my car to go home, I start detoxing. I used to detox when I got home, but my wife did not like me walking in detoxing. My wife wants me to walk in already detoxed. 
So she, she can't stand me walking in on a phone conversation. She's told me that is not good for our marriage when you walk in on the phone. Drive around the circle, walk out in the yard, but do not walk in this house on the phone. Because I got something to say to you. And so she, I want to talk to you when you walk through the door. And then um, I do the same thing if I see her. I'll, I, you know, I, so there's certain boundaries in our relationship that I think try to help us be healthy. And they're very hard for me, and I need help. So that's why I ask a coach to help me, help me be accountable with blocks of time uh, in my life. That's all. Go ahead, Randy. Um, I just want to say that I think it's important for us as, as point leaders. You have to decide what are the things that you are going to give your ministry self to. So uh, I have three <clears throat> what I call buckets of responsibilities. These are things that I give myself to. My time goes to these, th these things. I am the primary communicator on the weekend. Uh, the lion's share is mine. Uh, however many weekends it is, you know, you have to figure out your healthy rhythm. But that requires time. I have to give. I'm not going to cheat that, okay? I provide leadership to our staff. So I, I have to give leadership to them. I, I don't necessarily, they don't all report to me. That's not what I mean. But I have to give leadership to the staff. I have some direct reports. But that's my job, inject culture and DNA and leadership to the staff. The third thing I do is I am the visionary of the church. Where are we going next? Right. What's the next decision? And then I fund the vision. You can't delegate funding the vision to other people. I, I, maybe I'll talk about funding the vision in my, my roundtable here in a minute. But I have to do that. So once I've done all of those things, if I have any other time left over, I can do other things. But I, those are things that I have to do, and I'm not giving them away. So, to go back to your question, people want me to be there. They want to see me there. The goal has to be, are the people in the church cared for and pastored and led? If somebody is caring for them and taking care of them, if we are operating like we are family, as long as that is being done, that's all that matters. There's a point in time in the life of the church where people, Pastor, you need to do my funeral, and you need to do the wedding, or you need to be at the hospital. And I said, hey, 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 time out. I cannot do that. I promise you we will be family, and we will pastor you and take care of you. But that doesn't mean that I have to do it all. If we're not doing that, I'll be the first to fix it, and I promise I'll lead the church better. But I just can't be the one doing it all. And if you need a church where the pastor does it all, this is not the right place for you. But if you want a church where we will be family and love you and care for you, you're in the right place. I just can't do it all. Here's my three things. Boom. And, and then own it and make sure that people are cared for, but it doesn't have to be you. Anyway. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Give it up for Pastor Dino. Uh, so, hey, uh, Pastor Derek, why don't you come up here? Let's, uh, let's give you this mic for the next 10, 15 minutes and then ask you some questions. So this is my brother-in-law. If you don't know Pastor Derek, he's the senior pastor of Connect Community Church in, uh, in Framingham. And um, together we got to join Pastor Randy and, and get this thing off the ground, a few of us. So, um, yeah, give him your attention. Get your pen out. <laughs> What's up, guys? That was awesome, by the way. Uh, can you please remind me when you can do stuff like that not to bring my wife? <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> yeah, that was, that was awesome. Um, I'll try to stay in the same vein, uh, same lane as, as some of this uh, stay healthy stuff. Um, one of the things that uh, 
I was thinking about was, you know, when it comes to um, uh, handling ministry, I had like, like a kind of a confession that I had to accept. And I was talking to myself about it first, but in order for us to be able to do the kingdom work, this is going to sound counterintuitive at first, but we need to be able to, we need to accept the fact that we're going to, that we're going to have to carry more weight. Not necessarily do, there's this principle where we say less is more, but less doesn't mean that we're not going to carry more weight. We just have to learn how to leverage that weight. So you look at the, you look at the um, experience of Moses. Pastor Randy was talking about the Jethro principle. Hang with me. And you see, you know, he's leading a mega church. He's got a ton of people coming to him. Decisions, questions, all kinds of issues, lines of people. Just Jethro tells him it's not good. We all know the story, right? And then in Exodus 18, he says, um, what you're doing is not good because you're not going to be able to carry the load. And I think the weight that he was feeling is what was crushing him. But the truth is, and uh, Pastor Dino just said this, he has more responsibility than he's ever had right now. But he's not feeling the weight that he once felt right now, right? So the idea is we have to learn how to displace or leverage the weight of ministry better. Right? So um, a hobby that I have is, is powerlifting. I like to lift things up and put things down. I know you guys are surprised right now. And, it, and it's a passion. It's a passion. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't do the big, I do it for emotional health. It is really hard. It's really hard to be stressed out and 300 pounds is coming down on your chest. You just kind of push it out. So I just got to tell you that. I love it for the emotional rest, but I do like to compete with it. And one of the things that we've learned, you know, and just get, when you get into it is in order to be able to carry more weight, there's only just so much muscle you can put on. There's only so much capacity within your human body. If you're going to do more, you're going to have to learn some of like the secrets of being able to leverage that weight. So when I came into to ministry, I was installed as the second senior pastor. My father, the founder, is over here. And, uh, and so I followed in his footsteps. We have three generations now in our ministry that are full-time, which is great. My son's following in my footsteps. That's my greatest legacy is family following. And, um, but when I came into ministry, I had a guy come into my office, and he had this huge thing behind his back, and he pulls it out. And I said, what the heck is that? And he said, it's a, it's a truck jack that you use to change the tires. And I said, well, what is that for? He goes, it's my gift to you for being the senior pastor now. I said, what? He goes, because you're going to have to learn how to carry a lot of weight. And you're going to have to learn how to leverage your leadership. And so I have that on my desk. I have that on my desk to always remind me. But with that jack, you know, you think about that. That's that little thing that can get under this 18-wheeler, this particular one that I have. And it can, with the proper movements and motions and synchronization of all that thing. It can get on this little jackknife and just kind of click all that weight. So it's not that you're going to just just take the load and throw it on everybody else. We don't delegate to eliminate. We we de we delegate to develop, right? We de we release ministry but we're still responsible for the ministry, right? In the process. So we're learning how to carry really and hold more weight. That's what Moses had to do. He was still top of the food chain. You guys still are too. So you have to learn how to carry more weight. It's, 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 you must. The kingdom's, the kingdom's work requires you. You can't say, I can't do anymore. I can't do anymore. That's because you're going to need to learn how to leverage. You're going to need to learn how to leverage. When, I, when we do, I just won't, when we, when we lift weights, we have this, um, these little tools of the trade. We have this, 
We have these little ammonia caps that, that I'll take. Only My wife hates this illustration right here, but it's called nose torque, Randy. So you get this stuff, and you, <laughs> you sniff it back right before a big lift. You know why you do that? Because you want to eliminate fear and confusion and have 100% focus on what you're getting ready to do. And because of that, you're able to lift more weight. You know, when I, when I get ready to deadlift, I'll get up right to the bar. And, I, and if I have my shins an inch away from the bar when I get ready to pull that weight up, that's 40 more pounds on my lower back. So if I'm not close to my responsibility to lift this weight, I'll, if, I, if, I don't, if I break my form, I'll break my back. And so in ministry, it's the same way. You have to have really, really good form. Form is your foundation. Form and responsibility that you have, your role, the lane that you're in. Don't run from your lane. Don't run from your role. Don't run from your responsibility. My life message is responsibility is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Now, I had to learn to do it well. I had to be smart, but I'm just saying when I stepped away from my calling, I was more inclined to get in sin, more inclined to mess up, screw up, do stupid things. And, of course, the kingdom is at stake when I do those kind of things. So I had to get close to the bar. I have to get close to my responsibility and just simply learn how to do it better. Nose, torque it, get right up to that bar, you know, and make sure my form and my foundation is right. Is everybody tracking with me? So, so there are, I can stay with these analogies all day, but I, well, I'm going to get into just some, some substantive stuff that we can talk about. So I think there are um, some precious commodities that we can leverage as senior leaders. I'm assuming I'm talking to senior leaders. There are things that help us uh, carry more weight in the ministry. So we can do and, uh, what God has called us to do, and we can finish strong, as we've talked about already. So if I was to give you three precious commodities to leverage, the first one I would say would be time. I'm going to give you them all, then we'll unpack them, okay? First one's time. The second one's money. And then the third one would be relationships. Time, money, relationships. Now, there's probably others. But I just thought we would all agree those are some pretty big ones that we have to learn how to leverage as senior leaders, right? In our role and our responsibility, we've talked a little bit about time. We've talked, uh, maybe we just touched on the fact that we might talk more about money, and I'll let Randy handle that one better and, and bigger in, in a little while. And then maybe we can talk about the relationship side uh, the most. But in time, uh, how many have, you know, sometimes, you know, struggles with, with schedule, trying to, trying to manage it all, right? I mean, highly, re highly relevant. It feels like the, you know, Sean was talking about this in the back, just like the difference between, you know, is there balance? You know, what are the rhythms? All that kind of stuff. That has been um, a constant battle of my life and always something that I have to be working on, just constantly, constantly. And I know you guys relate to this. And so one little secret, and then we can jump into this. And I think you've heard, some of you heard this before. But it's, it's consistent with what's already said. I think we have to uh, schedule our priorities over prioritizing our schedule. Schedule our priorities more than prioritizing your schedule. If you look at a lot of what you're doing, sometimes we're not scheduling anything. We're just reactive. Frankly, we're just going from one thing to the next. We're, we're hooked on yes and all that kind of stuff. But if we are doing anything organizationally, a lot of times it's very... It's, it's not about priorities. So identifying your priorities. What are those, you know, if it's culture management, if it's, if it's vision and provision, you know, being, being a person who's focused on, like, elevating the stewardship within your church or uh, displacing the vision, being the primary communicator. You have to identify your priorities and then quantify those and put those into your schedule. 
Uh, another thing I think in terms of priorities, and it has nothing to do with your role and responsibility as a minister, but just as a Christian, and, and I think Dino handled that awesome, so I don't really need to unpack that too, too much, but I will say that in time, I think your mornings are, should, my mornings are sacred. So if, if there's something that I'm doing better, I don't even want to say I have complete victory in, uh, was just getting to the place where the first of my day is dedicated to soul care. And I'm just telling you, it's a game changer. Game changer. And I just don't get, I just don't let anything get in the way of that. You know, so I don't take an appointment before 9.30 in the morning every day. But I could be up at 4.30 in the morning. So that might not be everybody's cup of tea, but, you know, I have my devotions first thing. That's just how my day goes. I'm feeding myself. I'm feeding my own spirit. I'm nourishing my own spirit. This is just a piece. We can get into ministry stuff, and we can break that out on what that looks like in your schedule and how much time do you have with your staff and how much time do you have, you know, with, with, with the, your dream team and how much time do you put into the weekends. We can talk about that. But I'm just telling you, if I could offer you something, I think you make your morning sacred. Make your morning sacred. Do stuff that is building your inner man. And so I have devotions first thing in the morning. Right after that, I mean, I'm, I'm super, like the night before, by the way, I do this thing. I learned it from bodybuilding, but it's called stacking. And it's just getting ready for the next day. So I have, I got my, I got my clothes out. I got my food, I got my food organized. I got vitamins and stacks. I'm psycho. So if you want to follow psycho, come see me. But it, it, it's planned out the night before so that when I get up, I can just, I can focus on my priorities. And so I just go right downstairs. I got a power chair. I got my Bible. I read my Bible. I'm listening to worship music while I do that. I listen to a podcast or some message. I go to church myself every day. And then, and then somewhere in the last, this is being real, real detailed, I start getting into like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. So then I go to the gym right from there. And even at the gym, I'm doing leadership podcasts, I, I'm preparing for the day and organizing my schedule. I call it like a trifecta. I'm worshiping, I'm working out, and I'm leading all at the same time in the mornings. And I come home and, and uh, get ready to go to work. Does that sound like that'd be helpful? Anyway, so time, prioritize your schedule or do you schedule your priorities? You have to identify those. And, and then in money, I, I just, this is too large a subject and not enough time for this, but um, I would just say that some a change in my life that, um, you know, has helped me. My dad raised me to be generous, so our ministry was always generous. That was never a weak spot. But I would say the thing that I struggled with personally was stewardship, which is just be being prepared for a rainy day. And so um, one of, a pastor in my life, Pastor Chris Hodges, he, I would consider him like a spiritual father to me. He would say, and I've adopted this, that I'm more an opportunist than a strategist. So I wanted, so that would be what I'd say about money is prepare yourself to be an opportunist, opportunist, not just a strategist. A lot of times we're talking about what we're going to do. We're, we're saying we're going to get ready to do this, but we don't have the means to do that because we have not been storing away. We don't have anything in silos. We're not ready for those opportunities when they knock. Then they knock, and you know what we do? We break we break financial principles in those situations. We violate. We over-leverage ourselves. We find, you know, crazy ideas on how we're going to do this or that because we were not an opportunist. We weren't preparing for those opportunities. Does that make sense? All right, the last one. Relationships. Um, this is just uh, uh, two, 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 two things that kind of, a few things that really changed me. One, you can write this under relationships. Uh, lead you. I'm going to be super alliterative. It's a disease. Lead you. Uh, lead a few. 
lead your crew, <laughs> lead the many, lead the multitude. So in relationships, you have to first lead yourself, which I've already talked about. If you're not healthy, healthy you means healthy church, period, end of story. We can move on and ask questions. You lead your crew. I think you need an inner circle. You're only as strong as your inner circle. Pastor Dino has already talked about this. Randy's already mentioned this. This is so huge um, to have a, a, a board of, a, a kind of a, a board of directors for your life. When you have big decisions, and, and Pastor Jonathan was using this term a minute ago, you're going to need big trust. But big trust is built. And so I, I was waiting for that to come to me. I had to be intentional about going to it. I would say this to some of you guys as leaders out there. Sometimes you want what somebody else has, but you're not making the investment. So those kind of, that, that inner circle is going to require intentionality. Relationships are supported by time and effort, but intentionality with that. So I say you got to get after it. Find those people that you feel a kindred spirit with, feel like God's, and invest in them, add value to them, and see what happens. What, see if there's reciprocity. See if somebody responds back to that. But you need that. So I lead myself. I think that's most important. I think we need to lead ourselves. Lead you. Uh, lead a few. Lead the crew. That's your team. That's your staff. That's what Randy was talking about. I think we're provide. I, they don't have to be direct reports, he said, but you've got to lead your staff. Now, this was Jesus' model. So if I took those first three areas, this is where I think 80% of your ministry is as a senior leader. But unfortunately, most people's ministry is in the many, which let's say is your volunteers, and the multitude, which is your church. 80% of ministry for most senior leaders is focused on the last two areas, and only 20% is focused on the first three areas. But Jesus, Acts 17, 6, uh, Jesus changed the world by doing the first three. He pulled away by himself and got healthy. He invested in some key relationships. In fact, when he was on those mountaintops, transfiguration, different things in his life, there was only three people there. When he had the biggest miracles, there was only just a couple guys there. And then you look at the 12, he changed the world through the 12. So we got to pour 80% in terms of leverage to be able to carry more weight, to do more, and we must, by putting the first three areas of relationship. Amen? I don't know how long it was, but that was probably too long. So anyway, questions? Questions? Thanks, guys. You want to dig in on any of those areas of leverage? Relationships, time, money, we'll open it up. Yes, yeah, Sean? About prior, uh, scheduling your priorities, um, what is the filter that you use to determine who you say no to? Good. Um, well, first, I think I had to determine the things that I must do from the things that I can do. So I can do that. I, that's, that's what my, my default was. Oh, I can do that. I'll take care of that for you. I got that. Um, because I'd done it before. I, I was the person on staff with, in general, the most experience. So I was saying yes to things because I can, but, but there was somebody else that could do that as good or better. Uh, or with training or equipping in very short order, I could release those things. For example, counseling. This is a thing, depending on where you're at in your level of growth or whatever. I don't, I don't do any counseling now. Um, I frankly, I stink at it. Um, because 
because what happens is you see what's wrong in like 10 minutes and then you're just completely frustrated the rest of the time. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I can tell you what's wrong right now if you just shut your mouth. And so, but you can't do that. So I'm not nurturing, I'm just admonishing now. You know what I mean? That's all I have in me anymore. So I had to get out just for the sake of I have no patience anymore. But it was a question is how to get out because you end up hurting people and they go out the door and you're counseling and you're the top of the food chain. And if they have a problem with you, they leave the church. You guys all know the, the cycle, right? So um, there's different things you can do to kind of, but you got to figure out, first of all, what you must, what you can't. I know I, I, I cannot and should not do counseling anymore. I don't. There's other people that are wired for that, better for that. They're, they're, they're in your church and, and you need to find them. Yeah. Let me, let me say something to that as well. I don't think you have to tell people no. If people need help in your church, your job is to pastor them. That's what the church does. And so instead of saying, no, I don't do that, say, yes, we do that. Let me tell you how I will help pastor you in this moment. You see Pastor Derek right here, and we, we say yes. I don't, say, don't tell them no. I pastor them. I may not do it directly, but the answer is yes. Like, I've taught our, our, our leaders in our small group ministry. You know, we, we do a, a category of groups called free market groups, meaning we got softball small groups and weightlifting groups or whatever it is. So people go, hey, man, I want to do a ministry for this. Don't tell them no. Find a way to say yes. Yes, we, do, we will empower you to do that ministry if that's what you want to do. So realize... You may not be the one doing it, but you can still say yes. We, I saw I, all the time. Hey, w w I'm getting married. Will you do our wedding? Let me tell you something. I would be very honored to do your wedding. Let me tell you how we do those. And I just answer it that way. So it's never no. Well, let me tell you how we do that. And so it's, it's an easier pill for them to swallow when you handle it that way. Anyway. Yeah. You know, I don't know the right word for this too, Sean. I think we have to figure out. On the priorities, what are the things that, you know, we would never give up? Things that we're totally passionate about, we should never give up. Like kind of figuring those things out in our life. You know, I know, I, I know that's my 10 area, my home run area, you know, and I got to focus on that because I'm going to get way more done if I'm living in that strength and that sweet spot. Anybody else? Good. Give it up for Pastor Derek. Come on. All right. So, uh, guys, we're, uh, we got uh, about 20 or so more minutes. Then we're going to grab lunch. And um, so I'm going to invite Pastor Randy to come up when, when, uh, when he's done. Um, after that, we're going to go grab some lunch. But here's the deal. You're welcome to go have lunch outside. You can go find a seat somewhere. But um, what we've encouraged all the workshop you know, tracks to do is to come back and eat in the room that you were doing that in. Uh, your workshop in so that we can chew on together a little bit longer over food some of the stuff we just talked about okay so um, everybody give it up for Pastor Randy thanks all right so here's here's what I want to do with our time together I am going to oh, thank you babe it's part of our culture right there you do coffee she makes sure I'm, I'm, I'm looking as good as I can anyway so I want you guys to meet my wife real quick stand up babe this is my wife Amy Honestly, I'm, I'm so much better uh, because of her, and so I love doing life together. And uh, we've been married 24 years now, and so uh, she's an incredible woman. I love you, babe. Just wanted you to know that. And uh, 
She's so amazing. She's only made one bad decision her whole life. I'll let you figure out which one that was. Okay, what I want to do is I want to tell you one thing that we're doing this year that I think is like killing it. All right? So I want to give that to you. And then I want to talk a little bit about multi-site because it's such a big deal in the church world these days. So let me, let me hit on those topics. Okay, the first thing that, uh, that we're doing this year that I think was, is, is really, we kind of stumbled into it. But this year I told you guys earlier that we turned 15 years old. So I was really thinking about, you know, I'm from Louisiana. Les uh, le bon temps roule, right? We want to let the good times roll. So we're looking for a reason to party and have a good time. Well, the Holy Spirit really dropped in my heart. Instead of throwing this really audacious party this year, uh, we decided that we were going to grant 15 wishes. So we were going to make it the church and celebrating the church, really us impacting the community. So we have created an opportunity for people to nominate those in our community that are struggling with whatever. It's been all sorts of health issues or family issues or crises that people are going through to nominate them. And we have been granting those wishes and serving our community. And it has been incredible. So every month or so, we'll roll out another one and we'll show a video. Hey, church, this is what you're doing. And, uh, and it's just been our church. They're so proud of what we're doing and serving the community. And so I want to do it every year. Next year, I want to do 16 wishes. I mean, it really has been an incredible thing. My wife and I were out to eat at a restaurant at Seasons 52 just a month ago, and we walk in, and and you can tell when people are kind of looking at you a little, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, we're like, hey, you know, and they go, well, you, don't you Pastor Bayside? And we're like, yeah, one of our servers, you did one of your wishes for them. And these are completely unchurched people. And they're bragging and going on and on and on about the church, buying us appetizers and desserts and everything. And they don't even go to church because of what the church is doing to serve those who are hurting in the community. This single mom who has a sick child who we just took care of, it's, it's been incredible. So um, I just wanted to share that with you guys. We can ask questions around it in just a moment. Uh, but that has been a huge win for us. Let's talk about multi-site. Okay, multi-site is a huge thing in the church in america right now in fact um i think it is right around 40 percent of 41 percent of churches in america now are multi-site it's it's trending and the numbers aren't trending where it's just mega churches that are doing it it's smaller churches i mean churches that are you know 500 and less are going more and more multi-site and uh the the, tr the trend is that they're they're smaller churches doing this so what are some things that I think are important for us to know uh, when it comes to doing multi-site church? Let me give you just a few thoughts with that. Uh, by the way, when you're selling the vision to the church, uh, this is a phrase that I've used. And you're, you're welcome to use it because it's really one of those culture things that you were talking about earlier. About how do you get people to all say the same thing all the time? Everybody in our church knows this phrase that we want to make it hard for people to go to hell in Sarasota, in Bradenton, Florida. Okay, we say that all the time. It's part of our culture. We have it. So if you want to make it hard for people to go to hell, you must make it easy for them to go to church and thus birth the vision of multi-site for us because people won't drive for church. You guys know that. So that's kind of what we use as our uh, phraseology for going multi-site. So what are some things you need to think about? Uh, first of all, do you like your church? And do others like your church? That sounds 
overly simplify, but if you don't leave your church experience and you don't like what's happening, then you shouldn't go multi-site. If, yeah, don't make more of what you don't like. And, and so uh, it's not a matter of how large it is. It's are you doing it well? If you don't like your children's ministry, you don't like the way your worship is, you don't like the environment you have now, why would you want to replicate that? Because you will replicate what you are, not what you want to be. So um, I would tell you, first of all, make sure that, that you like your church and people. <laughs> make sure other people like your church too. All right. So I think this is important, a resource-rich environment. If you're going to go multi-site, you need to do it in a resource-rich environment. It's art. We plant churches. We tell church planters that if you're going to plant a church, you need to do it from a resource-rich environment. What does that mean? You need to financially be stable. You need to have yourself in order uh, so that you can go plant the church. In fact, one of the biggest reasons why we do not approve people to plant the churches because financially they are in a mess and if your church is in a mess financially and you you're having trouble paying the bills now why would you want to go create another experience that's going to drain on the finances as well you can be assured that the church probably won't pay for itself the campus it's going to take a year for that so that means you need to have the money to invest in that campus to where it can start paying for itself resource rich is not just money leaders and volunteers as well if you're struggling for volunteers and leaders in your current church and ministries then launching a campus is not going to make that better it's going to magnify the problem it's going to make it worse and so you need to do it from a resource-rich environment well therefore you need a really good leadership pipeline and uh, we, we can talk about that if you have questions about what we use for our leadership pipeline um, you, you must have people that you must have a system to develop leaders so that when you go plant campuses, you, you have twice as many kids ministries and worship leaders and all of those things. So it must be a resource-rich environment. Um, campus location. Uh, when it comes to looking for the right place to launch a campus, I would submit to you, you need to go where there's low-lying fruit, especially on your first one. Because you only get one opportunity to launch your first campus which therefore puts a taste in people's mouth and they're either going to like it or they're going to dislike it and if it doesn't work well the next time you say thus says the lord they're going to go oh yeah, yeah that didn't work last time that was, that was a dumb idea okay so uh i would tell you to look where 30 percent of your people are coming from like your giving units we use a heat map okay and we use a heat map where are people coming from now and let's go launch a campus there because you already have people to help fund the vision. That's where you should go. If you simply just try to go, at least for your first one, into a market where you don't have any influence, that's like a church plant. That's really hard. And so I would not encourage you to do that. So it's much easier to just keep growing your influence. So plant 20 minutes away or 30 minutes away your first campus and then you, your influence grows. And so that your next campus can be a little bit further as well. That way it's not a cold launch, okay? And so um, you need to go to the right place. Then you also need to solve the question of, as far as location, is you have to give people a reason to go there instead of the existing campus. There has to be a convenience factor there. Uh, if you're 
campus is really busy or really large and it's hard to get in and out of and it's too busy. Well, that is a reason. Well, you go to this one because it's not as busy and not as you know, dysfunctional because of all the people. But it might be in their community as well. Maybe there are barriers in your city or in your region, a bridge or a something or another. You go plant there, it gives them a reason to want to go there instead of the other location. So that's what you need to know about uh, where's the right location. Also, here's something we do is we survey people every year. And one of the things that we ask them is, where would you like to see the next location? So they're asking for it. So that, along with our heat map, is how we determine where's the right place to go. When I say a heat map, we look at where people are coming from, right? We plot it all on, like, like David did here earlier, showing everybody's coming from that's here at the conference. So that's how you would want to pick a good location. Now, um, also, let's talk about video versus live. Should it be a video venue or should the person there speak live? Yes. It, it, there is no right or wrong way. So the way I say do it is don't pick a vision and say this is how we're going to do it. Let the leader of that campus determine how you should do it. If they are a communicator, then let them do some communicating. If they're just a gatherer but they're not a communicator, then let it be a video venue. And so don't get stuck in a particular way. Derek said a moment ago, he's not a strategist, he's an opportunist. I think you should do that with your campuses as well. What opportunity is before you with a leader and let them determine the vision of how that's going to work. All right. So uh, also when you're planting a campus and you're looking for the right campus pastor, I would have you get them to drive around that area and make sure they're called to that area. Not called to a position, but called to that area. Do they see themselves living there, raising their family there, kids going to school there, playing sports there, art class or whatever Dino was talking about earlier. <laughs> and it's so, so can they see themselves living in that area? Is that a place that they would want to live and raise a family and pastor that community? Those are just some questions you need to ask yourself when it comes to going multi-site. So I'd like to serve it up for some questions and talk about this anyway. Questions? Yes. parish model in light of multi-site do you have any insight into that i, I haven't i'm not sure could you explain to me what that i mean is? Real, dino or anybody else heard of the parish model? trinity grace uh in new york city church of the city in nashville basically the short of it would be if you know zero is planting an independent church like good luck to you it's a whole you know their own thing 10 is a carbon copy of the mothership satellite mm-hmm uh, it, it's trying to embody the five, so you're sharing like the same vision, mission, values, but you're really encouraging that local pastor to contextualize your values uh, the way they want. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's a little bit further away from the typical satellite, but so it's, it's more like a network church, maybe or something. It's still the same. It's still the same same name church, though everything? same name. So. Yeah, there's yeah. a bit more autonomy. You're just flexibility. Like Stovall does, yeah. I, I just didn't know if you had any insight. This is what we're doing around the Providence region, and we're trying to make sense of uh, how to do that well while maintaining vision, but really empowering some of these local pastors to really figure out how to do mission well in their context. I think you just have to figure it out. Uh, there's so many ways to slice up, you know, multi-site.
does let yeah. those guys have some discretion. Yes. Collins would be a good choice. Yeah. Because he's just going to be straight back. And he can catch up and stay with him. Mm -hmm. And then Cooper would let loose on some other teams. And they they need to be humbled themselves to have some discretion. Sure. And I think you have to decide as the leader, how do you want to do multi-site? And for us, it's mostly that franchise model. However, the latest campus that we launched was, was a little bit more like a pie. And so because I'm, I'm doing, like Derek said, the opportunist, I want to let the leader determine the kind of campus that we're going to launch. So, yes. Hey, Chad Braswell from Metro Church in Marlboro. I have a question. When you're talking about uh, preparing to launch the first site or the next site, uh, you were talking about, you know, knowing your health. Do you have any percentages or indicators when it comes to the percentage of volunteers extra or the, the savings needed to set aside to launch your first campus? Well, we, we have a budget, and we know exactly what it costs us to launch a campus. And so uh, we, we're of the persuasion. What we do is we ask the church to all be a part of that. So we will take miracle offerings to launch new campuses because we want to be one church with many locations. So everybody's giving towards that. And so, uh, and that's how we launched the campus. And that get that money, though, is for launch, not for carrying costs. That's everything up to the day. So it is salaries and equipment and everything leads up to the launch day. And we have a budget for that. And if any of you guys would like any of that information, by the way, on how we launch campuses or any of that, uh, you can definitely email me, um, and, and I will connect you with the right person. So my email is randy at mybayside.church, and I will send you our matrix and our system, and there's a timeline of when we hire the worship or the campus pastor, when we hire the worship, when we hire the kids, and I mean, it's all, it's kind of like Ark does for planting a church, same thing. Uh, so, so that's how our budget is, and we raise the money for that. We, we take miracle offerings, and e even though we could pay for it, I want the church to be all in on it. So I think a miracle offering is a, is a very important thing to allow the church to be a part of that. Obviously, when it comes to different markets and stuff, it takes different, you know, maybe it takes different funds or uh, amounts. But is there kind of like a, man, if we could get this, we know we're good for that. So for us, the, it's, it's about a $630,000 launch for us. That's technology, that's everything, and that's, you, you know, as a video venue, okay, the technology that it would take for that. Um, and so we don't, go, we don't go a permanent location, we launch portable because we, we want them to have some skin in the game. We don't give them this brand new car turning 16 years old, right? We want to get them a beater and let them learn how to, you know, l live in it a little bit. So for us, the model is launching portable. So it, it could be more if you were doing permanent. For us, if you're in a school, a theater, it, it doesn't change whatever market you're in because they're pretty much all the same. And then for us, when it gets to 1,000 people, that's when we purchase land. And then when there are 1,500 people, that's when financially, once again, we have a matrix for all this as well, so you guys can ask for all this stuff. That's when they can support their own facility, their own building, which for us is about a $7 million, um, you know, what it costs to build. You know, we want 700 seats and kids' facilities for all of that. So, so that's kind of our model. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You guys, you know, also, let me tell you this. Mark.Mateer, let me give you another email address as well. Mark.Mateer, M-A-T-E-E-R. Mark 
m-a-t-e-e-r at mybayside.church. He's going to be the one that's going to filter all this information to you because he, run he runs point on all of that. But, but I, I don't mind communicating with you. I'll help any way I can. So, Any other questions? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. We're over here. Uh, just as, this is a question regarding um, locations in relationship to the mothership. You kind of alluded to that. You, you had some feedback from people in the church, but also um, do you have a template where is it 20 minutes how, and to f how far out do you think it, it would be effective? That's a great question. Um, I, I think there's a sweet spot that goes somewhere around the 30-minute mark because if you get further than that, you typically are not going to have a lot of influence. You're probably not going to have a lot of givers or people coming from that area. So you need them to kind of help support the church. Um, also, you can go closer if you're at an existing location that is very successful. In other words, attendance is high and it's growing. You can plan another campus within 15 minutes of there. Kind of siphon a little bit out of that to create some more space. And speaking of volunteers, you maybe, you know, it, it, volunteers and getting volunteers in a church is always a big deal, okay? Here's what I do know. When you launch another campus and people leave and go over there, it's amazing what births right out of that. All of a sudden, because there's a need, people will step up. But if they're in a location that's doing well, they feel like you got it all together... So they, they're not inclined to volunteer, and as soon as people step up, God raises up new people. So, uh, but anyway, that's the location. Yeah. Hey, Randy, thank you so much uh, for sharing. Um, Eric Bucci, Cornerstone Church, Cheshire. We, uh, we just built a $4 million building, just finished it and all that, and we're running out of parking, and we had to build uh, an addition for, for, teen, you know, for teenagers and all that. Question for you. Um, the first time I, we did it, we did a capital campaign, which I was sort of comfortable with, didn't like some of it. Um, and now I'm thinking about um, what have you guys found of the new model? Do you guys, I know Chris Hodges doesn't like it, but capital campaigns, we're not growing by 1000 a year, so we don't have all this extra money. But we're, you know, we have a pretty good amount of money uh, stashed away, but not enough to build a $2 million building addition. So I was curious, what do you guys do um, What's the new model for ARC churches when it comes to raising funds in an appropriate manner uh, versus the enjoy and, you know, those capital campaigns with kind of yeah. goals and all that kind of stuff, uh, which I'm not crazy about. But, you know, let me get all right. Let me talk about funding the vision real quick in, in this. And let me give you some kind of some real nuggets or a couple of little things that I think will help. First of all, we did a capital campaign. The very first project we did, I hated it. I just, I just absolutely hated it. I don't like the high-pressure thing. And, uh, and by the way, I don't think there's a wrong or a right way. It's the right way for you. So uh, your way might be Hodges. It might be Capital Campaign or somewhere in between. And that's okay. Let me just tell you what I've learned. So first of all, I think when it comes to funding the vision, I really believe that you have to take a personal responsibility for funding the vision. I'm talking about point pastors. We're all the, the lead pastors here. You cannot delegate that to someone else. So people, someone said earlier, I think it was you, uh, Pastor Jonathan, that people buy into the leader before they buy into the vision. And, and so that means you have to sell the vision by selling yourself and meeting with people. So let me give you just a couple of tips on meeting with what I call high-capacity givers. You can define them all sorts of ways. It's up to you. For us, the top 50 givers in our church kind of fit in this category. There's no magical number to 50. That's just the way I'm doing it. All right. So I meet with them. Here's the conversations I have with them. 
Uh, they don't mind, first of all, helping fund the vision. They don't want to be the only ones funding the vision, though. The, be very, very clear about this. That's why we take miracle offerings. Uh, the, the people that can only give $100 are just as important as the people that are going to give the $10,000 check, okay? And the people that give the $10,000 checks don't mind giving the $10,000, the $100,000 checks, but they, they also want people giving $100 checks, okay? Yep. So everybody, it's an all play when it comes to funding the vision. So be very clear, and they need to know that as well. That we're going to be taking a miracle offering as we launch in this campus, but I wanted to talk to you personally about it, okay? So th th those are the kind of conversations you have to have. And let me tell you how it works. Let me give you a little outline that I use in talking with high-capacity givers. So I schedule an appointment with them, and uh, I, I sit down at Starbucks, or Amy sometimes goes with me to lunch or breakfast or, or what have you. And here, here's my three-point outline. First of all, I just want to get to know them. Tell me a little bit about who you are. You know, I live in Florida, and no one is from there. So, you know, how did you end up here? Tell me where are you from, and what do you do for a living? I want to get to know your family, and, and tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey, how you ended up coming to know the Lord. I just, just getting to know them, okay? Then I'm going to turn the corner. So my transition statement is, here's what I, I say to them. You are extremely generous to our church. And I just want to say a huge thank you for what you're doing. The Bible says when something has your heart, your treasure follows that. I'm very curious. What is it about Bayside that grabbed your heart that made you want to put your treasure here? That question, my friends, is the million-dollar question. It's like that Prince Regent question. Yeah, it's, I just went to their heart. Because now I'm finding out when people are eating potato salad and, you know, talking about whether there's onions or not in it. What do they really want people to say about them? This is the thing that they want to give themselves to, right? Man, the way your church does outreach, the way it reaches the next generation, whatever it is, you now know what their legacy is. Man, that is a great question to know. So then from there on... Do you know what my following conversations are with him? It, it's all about that area. How we're reaching the next gen or how we're doing outreach or whatever it is, that's the thing that is the key to their heart. Okay, and then the third part is I want to ask them, what, is, what are you praying for? What's the number one prayer request in your family? How can I pastor you and how can I pray for you and help you? So you know what else I talk to them about in following conversations first? Hey, you told me this situation is going on with your daughter, and I've, I've been praying, man, how's it going? And so they're buying into the person, they're getting the vision, and you know the secret to their life, and now they're giving. That's how I got a $12 million gift a couple of years ago, is in that right there. By the way, let me just give a little something. Your job in raising funds is not to raise funds. Your job is to pastor people. Raising funds for the vision is a byproduct of you pastoring those people. You understand what I'm saying? If you're just simply trying to raise money, well, they will sniff that out. You won't get a nickel from them. So I'm, I'm, my job is to pastor them. Like if, if Carrie Job were in our church, my job would be to pastor her, to put her on a platform, to lead some worship. Their job is to fund the vision. I want to pastor them in that. I know every dollar, yes. Oh, I know. Yeah, and, so. and some people say you shouldn't, and that's fine. You can live that way. 
I think I should know how to pastor my people. If someone has a gift of giving and funding the vision, I should know that. If someone knows how to play the piano, why wouldn't I want to know that? So I can have them be involved in worship. The reason why people often think that way is because maybe they were in a bad culture. Just because you had a bad experience doesn't mean you need to build a doctrine on that. And so, Pat, your, your job is to steward what God has brought you. And if you don't, they'll go somewhere else. So pastor them well, that's all. What would you suggest if the culture of the church that you're pastoring is 30 years old, the pastor never knew the amount, and it's been almost like a prouding, uh, boasting point. The pastor has no idea what we give. He just, he just trusts God, you know, and, and you, you're in that environment. How important do you, obviously you said something very important. You said you need to know where the gifts are in the church, and so you need to know where those people are. I think uh, I Maybe you know. don't have to know the exact dollar amount. Yeah. I mean, you need to know who the people are that can fund the vision and have a God-given calling on their life right. to fund the vision. So I would think you need to know who those people are. If, if you know that they gave $200,000 versus $50,000, I don't know that that necessarily will matter. But you need to know who your top givers are because they are going to fund the vision. So how do you transition that? Everybody in our church doesn't doesn't know that in other words i'm not hiding anything but i'm not telling the church hey i know who our top givers are and i want to meet with you guys and talk with you okay so it's just how i live my life and what i give time to so um can i, can I yeah there's a, all kinds of things about funding the vision that yeah. i didn't talk about that are more day-to-day -day here's, here's what i'd like to do let, let me say one thing about this and then i'm going to let you guys go grab your lunch bring it back in here and we'll stay on this for a minute, okay? Because so I think multi-site and certainly funding the vision are, you know, regardless of church size, those are a big deal. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's do that. Let me just say this one thing. Um, Randy and I had a conversation about this probably a year, year and a half ago, right on the heels of us launching our first satellite campus. And so he was coaching me through this. And um, one of the things that he, I was very much in the same kind of mindset that you're describing. And... Um, one of the things he said to me is people that are high capacity don't need, they, they don't give to the church for credit. They give to a hospital to get their name on it. They don't give to the church in big numbers because they want credit, but they do want to know they're seen. And so when, when I'm able to sit with them and say, listen, you don't, you don't get more credit with God because you're faithful with the first, but you make a million dollars and somebody else makes $30,000. Like we, we give God the first because God's called us to trust him with the first to care for our community and to extend the commission of the gospel. We, we both do that, but, can I, uh, but I want to I help you understand something. The fact that you are faithful with that first here, you could be faithful with that first in any house. And you're doing that in this house. And so I want you to know that I'm grateful and I feel humbled that you would trust this pastor and this leadership with that gift. So thank you for that. Now here's what we're going to go do to change the world together. And so the, the translation is not our church knows who all those people are and we don't advertise that, but not because I'm afraid to. Someone says, are there people that you have lunch with? Yes, there are people that I have, I have lunch with because the capacity to do all the things that you want to see done, like I want to see it done, often rests in the hands who have the capacity to have God pour through them the resources to achieve those great things. So um, that's the language that, that we use in that conversation.